are listening to The Wrong Side of the Red Line, Dallas Stars Podcast. Here is your host, Sean Shapiro. Well, where do you want to start today, Ryan? That's a good question. Because last week we talked all about Jamie Alexiak being Jamie Alexiak practice player. And then I'm not sure if Lindy Ruff subscribes to our podcast. If he does, you should join. You, everyone else should join Lindy Ruff in subscribing in iTunes. Go do that. Uh, and then Jamie Alexiak goes and plays three straight games. Of course, this came after the 8-2 uh, ass-kicking where they got curb-stomped by Winnipeg. And then yeah. Jamie Alexiak comes back and plays three straight games. And you think, hey, maybe he's going to stick in the lineup. They win back-to-back games. And then the game comes yesterday on Sunday, uh, the loss, the overtime loss to Vancouver, where Jamie Alexiak showed us why he hadn't played at all. (laughs) (laughs) Where Jamie Alexiak uh, basically did not have a very good game, and neither did did Kari Letton, and neither did the Stars' defense in the third period in a game that you'd look at everything else, you think that's a pretty good road game. Right. No, for sure. I, I'm not going to lie. I was a little bit concerned because since no one else is privy to our text message conversations, Sean legitimately texted me in the middle of the Winnipeg game. I don't know what if it was five to whatever, if it was already eight to two at that point, and said, if Jamie Alexiak does not suit up in this next game, he's never playing another game in Dallas, which I think we could all agree if that was if that ended up being the case that after that game, if he wasn't getting into the lineup, there was no conceivable way that he would ever get into the lineup again. Because after you give up eight goals to anyone, let alone the team that's not exactly world beaters like Winnipeg, wholesale changes probably have to happen the next game. So it was it was good to see that he's not permanently stapled to the bench. But as you said, that Vancouver game kind of gave everyone a glimpse as to why. And I mean, you can't, I mean, it's hard to sit here and fault the guy a ton. I mean, it was an that turnover was awful, just awful. But he's played, what, 21 games the last year and a half. So, I mean, he's still a young guy. Sometimes it happens. And not only that, I mean, it's, it's for one, it's tough to come back. After you've been sitting for so long, it's tough to come back. But you'd like to think that third game would have been one of his best games. You'd like to think that, after having played a couple games that he'd find kind of find a rhythm and you would have liked to think it would have been the opposite he wasn't bad in in the first game he played he wasn't bad he wasn't noticeable in a good way or a bad way which frankly that's why Esselindale had stayed in the lineup for so long we had commented on that last week Um, for a guy like Nick at this point in his career that's kind of what you want out of him because he's not going to be a game-breaking guy you just want him to go out there and not be no just do the little things if you don't want to He's the type of guy that if you're noticing him, it's probably for something like he did at the end of the game. Well, yeah, he had and he had the he had the bad turnover, and then not only that, there was also uh, he also would have been at fault if on the goal that call, got called back, which I was actually surprised they called it back uh, on the goal where Lettinen got pushed into the net. That also came after a turnover as well by Alexiak. Uh, so overall, it was not his most stellar performance, and kind of shows why I would imagine. We're going to go back when they play New Jersey on Tuesday. We'll see him back in the press box. Yeah, I agree. And can we talk about how tough it was to start Kari Latin in four straight games? We're going to start. We're going to talk a lot about Kari Latin, I think, today, <laughs> because as uh, something I'm actually working on for tomorrow on the writing side, it's 
who is Kari Lattinen right now? Because if you take if you take Kari Lattinen and you split him, I mean, I guess we could kind of look at Kari Lattinen as those these past four games as a microcosm of of his season, which he shouldn't have started four straight games. Let's be honest. Let's be honest, a microcosm of his entire career. Microcosm is a career. Yeah, that's that's a fair way to put it. He should not. I was not. I mean, it was kind of a bit of a surprise that you go back to him for the uh, the uh, Calgary game after uh, af- after the eight two loss to Winnipeg. Um, it was a bit of a surprise. He got the back to back start. I think it was his first back to back start in about three on back to back days in about right. three or four years. Um, but he was good in those back to back days. Then they go back to him to play his third and fourth, and he the wheels fell off in the third period for him. Um, you could have seen that coming. Well, and if if you're the stars and everyone and the stars, as much as whenever they defend their goal, their two goaltender system, they defend their their goaltender system and say we have a one A and a one B. Well, the reason you have a one A and a one B is when you have three and four nights, you play one B. It was made for a situation specifically like that. This isn't. And you're more familiar with goaltending than I am. Because I mean, obviously, you play goalie. I I played goalie once in my entire life, and I was there. I was no, you weren't. No, no, no. Okay, twice in my entire. I mean, like in an actual game. Oh, like, okay. I we we played we you and I played at the pond in Bowling Green once. But to illustrate, this wasn't an actual pond. This was legitimately okay. A tarp piece of frozen ice sitting in the middle of the park that was maybe the size of an upscale bathroom. It was tiny. <laughs> And we had, what did we have? We had five people on this little sheet. It was awful. Oh, but it was, I mean, the more important thing was we had beer, we had cold beer and, and, and hot dogs on the grill. So. But I play, I, the point, the point I'm trying to make here is I suited up for an actual game once. And I was so sore for the week. I was sore in places I didn't even know existed for legitimately the next week. And granted, a guy who, gets paid $6 million a year to play goaltender is going to be in infinitely better shape than I am. But still, playing the better part of four games over the week span takes its toll on you. And obviously we saw that in the third period as he gave up. God, all those goals. I mean, there was two five-hole goals. Um, I actually the Two five-hole goals, and I kind of predicted with him playing on the one end and Ryan Miller playing on the other end, I... I was wrong, but I would have bet the game-winning goal and it would have been five-hole in overtime. Uh, and then the third, and then the other goal—it's high shot, glove side. But you'd like—you need that save. Let's let's put it that way. You you need that save when you're—that's t- you, the save you need your goalie to make, uh, especially with the potential of other chances in three-on-three uh, overtime. So he shouldn't have played that game. He should have been. I mean, and who knows? Had, what if he played well? What if he had played well, and then do they go back to him on Tuesday and give him five straight? I mean, it's it was yeah. it's kind of. I mean, I would be if they if they do start him to if they do start him tomorrow, that'll be another storyline. <laughs> but it, I mean, it's it's obviously it's really easy to say in hindsight because when you're looking at it from just from the I think Ruff's quote was something about needing a goaltender to get on a roll, and I mean from that perspective, it's you know. It's not a bad decision from that perspective, but when you look at the overall, you know, like you said, it's been a couple of years since he played back to back, like two nights in a row. You got to keep it fresh, especially when your backup is on a similar level. 
similar level, I guess. Well, and, 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 but he's not a backup. That's the thing. The Dallas, the Dallas Stars, Jim Nill and Lindy Ruff will point out to you he's not a backup. They will say it's 1A and 1B. That's what it is. So when you have a 1A and a 1B, when you have 3 and 4, you should have split those starts. Yeah. You, you don't have Carey Price. And even though, I mean, I, frankly, the Stars would probably take Al Montoya right now. <laughs> I mean, so. That's true. It's... It's a I can see both sides of it. That's all I'm saying. I, I completely agree that he should not have started last night, but I can see I can see the contrary inside to it that he's playing well and you ride the hot hand. I but can, I, I, I generally agree that keep the guy fresh, I, especially, I, especially with his injury history. And, I, and his, his past history, his past history with injuries and his past history with how he has not been able to carry a hot streak to three or four games when he hasn't had the rest. I think it's... Yeah. That's a stretch where you shouldn't have played him three and four, in my humble opinion, of all, of all things. It's, okay. I, think, I think he stole you. The, I think you should have looked at that 40-save game um, on uh, Friday night, thanked him for helping you steal a bit of a point, and then say, okay, we're going to give Niemi the, uh, we're gonna give Niemi the start on Sunday. And Joy, they are. Exactly. It also, the other interesting thing I wanted to talk about is you look at this team, and I just wrote something about this this morning and should be up by the time this podcast goes, is the Stars, after they lost to Winnipeg, and Jamie Benn and Tyler Sagan both said this was rock bottom when they lost to Winnipeg a week ago, uh, when they lost 8-2. to two. Since that game... If, if I was to tell you the Stars would take would go on a Western Canada road trip and take five out of six points over, over a three-game stretch, missing Jason Spezza, Yuri Hoodler, uh, Alish Hemsky, Matthias Yanmark, and Cody Eakin, and they take five out of six, you'd be pretty happy with that. Oh, yes. And so, so it, there's a turnaround there, and they, they take six out of six points if the goaltending shows up in, in Vancouver on Sunday. So, yeah. The team's training in the right direction. And one thing that I think if you want to take a look and you look at the strategy of it and what's kind of helped during that stretch is Jamie Benn and Tyler Sagan haven't been playing together the past three games. No, they haven't. But they've also probably played the best hockey of the season. Probably. And I think there's two reasons for that. I think one becomes the fact where they don't have to share the puck at even strength, a five-on-five. There's no... You're having, uh, you're having Jamie Benn playing with Radic Fox and Lori Cor- Korpakoski, who no one, <laughs> no one had that line. Now, I don't think anyone in their right mind had that line combination before Lindy Ruff ever put it together three games ago. Uh, he's playing with those two guys, and somehow Lori Korpakoski has turned into a goal scorer. Mm-hmm. And then you have uh, Sagan is playing with Patrick Reeves and Antoine Roussel, and he's kind of... And those are two guys that are willing to defer and let him carry the puck, let him set the play, and he can you and he can set up the play. And he had three assists against Vancouver the other night, and he's playing with two guys where Antoine Roussel and Patrick Eves are a pair that will go to where Sagan wants them to go. They're going to go hard to the net. They're going to play and give Sagan the extra space, and it's worked well. And I think the other thing about those two, about splitting Sagan in bed, that's worked really well for the Stars is they're not really a defensive liability like they were. I mean, they were bad. They were bad defensively against Winnipeg. The entire team was bad defensively against Winnipeg. But think back to the uh, overtime game against Chicago before that. 
think about how bad the defensive coverage was on that on both in regulation and in overtime when that line got absolutely burned uh, by the Blackhawks late in the game. And now you have Ben playing with Fox and Korpakoski, who are in the NHL because of their defensive abilities, frankly. They're in the NHL because of what they can do. You have uh, Sagan playing with Eves and Roussel. Eves, who is an off, who can be an offensive player and scored two goals the other night, but two guys who, are, who, can, who play a 200-foot game. It's made both of them in a better situation where even if they do slack a little bit defensively, and they've both been better on their own right. If you watch that, if you isolate on both of them, they've been better on their own right but it allows them to slack a little bit more and not get burned as they were past couple games before that. Yeah, agreed. And the thing with, um, you mentioned Eves and Rossell, is these are two smart hockey players. They know where to be on the ice. They know, and the more you get comfortable with the guys, you know what their tendencies are and you know where to go to get the puck. And they're both getting rewarded for it right now. And, We've seen, I mean, Patrick Eves throughout his career, he's been a guy who's primarily a hybrid second, third line winger type, but he's a guy who has offense. And then Roussel, we've seen it since he's been in Dallas, that he has an offensive side to his game. So I love I love what they've done. I think we talked about it on the uh, either the first or the second podcast about how it's really rare, how Dallas was one of the few exceptions in the league where your two best players are playing on the same line. Yeah. And... They've splitting them up's actually done pretty well, so I, it'll be interesting to see what happens when they start getting guys back, which should oh. happen now in the next two weeks or so. You'd like to think so. I mean, Sharp's been practicing again. You have Spezza, who is still under that week to week status. Stars, Stars had a day off today, so we don't really have more well, of an update. But you'd you, you don't have to rush those guys back now. Not that they're by any means playing the way that they should be playing, but. You don't, there's, it's not like you're going in and you went through a Western Canada road trip and scored five times in four games. You're scoring enough now, mm-hmm. and your problems are the same thing that they've been. You can't, sometimes you can't defend at all. So there's really, you let the guys get along at their own pace, you're not rushing them back. And, and, it, spreads the, and it spreads the wealth through the lineup, too, that what it does, where it's an insurance policy for you, where you have Tyler Sagan makes Antoine Roussel a much better offensive player. That's, I, I think that's a, that's a, that's an obvious, you know, you don't need a you don't need a degree in rocket science or brain surgery or whatever to, to know that. I don't think either of those two things are actual real degrees, but yeah, I, 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 I know. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm sorry to the medical community, <laughs> but it spreads the wealth through the lineup and it creates an opportunity for other guys to play with world-class players. I think I remember back to a statement um, when Steven Johns scored against uh, uh, the St. Louis game where the defense scored four goals and Steven Johns scored. And Steven Johns, after the game, told me, when one of the best players in the world has has the puck on his stick, you just get open and and he's going to find you. I think that's kind of a perfect encapsulation of what you can put on how on kind of the – mentality and identity that Roussel can take on a line playing with the Tyler Sagan. And Tyler Sagan's gotten better, not Tyler Sagan, sorry, Antoine Roussel's gotten better with dishing the puck out as well. I think it's something that, that, that is something I think we need to notice as well, where originally you put him on the power play and you thought he was only on the power play because of his ability to tip pucks. He's very good at tipping pucks at the net. But now he's been making more, he's been making some passes, he's been making some uh, sharper little plays 
that you don't really expect if you don't watch him play all the time. Yeah, agreed. It's kind of like a uh, a faster Brendan Morrow. Say, I can see it. It's not a it's a stretch, but I can see it. But you know what I mean. He's just he's a guy who who mucks, who throws, who's basically a piss ant, who's really good at getting in front of the net, good at tipping pucks, and his offensive and his offensive game is it's just gotten better a lot. You know what I mean. He's not. I don't think he's not. I don't think he's a guy who's ever going to have the offensive ceiling that Brendan Morrow had because I think during his like the three year height of his peak offensive production, he was pretty close to a point again player, and I don't think that's something that Roussel's ever going to reach. But just the package that he brings, the banging and the grinding and the getting in front of the net and the getting under opponent's skins, it's very reminiscent of Brendan Morrow. If Brendan Morrow was a lot faster. True, and it, he's a uh, he's a player who you got to. I mean, you have to point out with Roussel that he's fought and earned everything he's he's gotten. I mean, it's yes. he, he's a guy who was uh, probably only in the, he he was a guy who never many few people ever thought he did make it out of the AHL. Who has turned himself into a nice little pest and uh, kind of a valuable a valuable piece for this team. Um, the other thing that. Uh, you saw from this weekend, and it's just I want to touch on it real quick before we go. And this goes back to the uh, the eight defenseman thing because when we asked everyone when I put out the tweet yesterday, asking what people want to talk about, and one of the things, one of the questions was, "Can you just spend the entire time cursing the eight defenseman system?" Well, I'm not going to spend the entire time cursing the eight defenseman system since I think I've done that enough already. Yeah, I think we've devoted enough airway time to that. However, I will say this: it's. It becomes interesting, and there was the reaction on Twitter was certainly quite some vitriol, and we don't know. And and maybe he's hurt. Maybe maybe there's something else to it which we don't know, and maybe we'll learn at practice tomorrow. But Stephen Johns gets scratched on Sunday against uh, against uh, Vancouver, and Patrick Nemeth comes in. And this is not an indictment against Patrick Nemeth, but this is a question of why did Stephen Johns come out? Uh, against a Vancouver team when he had been playing well. I know he was benched the other night. He got benched against... Uh, Got benched against Calgary, or was it against Edmonton? Um, I don't remember. He got, so he got he got benched in the middle. He had the bad turnover in the second period. Only played one shift in the second period, and then came out in the third period and just dominant in the third period. He was hitting. He was he was hitting guys. He was playing. It, it, he had a dominant third period and a win. And then either a game or two games later, he's out of the lineup for after after. Uh, after Lindy Ruff said that morning, I'm not changing the lineup, and then all of a sudden later that day, he changes the lineup. So that's the other thought too: is why was uh, Stephen Johns out of the lineup on Sunday? That's if we're if we're double guess, if we're double guessing and uh, questioning things for what this team did on this road trip. That's another question: is why is he out? And it's also a uh, to get back to my point, which took me way too long to get to. That's another weakness of carrying eight defensemen. He probably yeah. Patrick Nemeth probably comes in because he wants to keep everyone fresh, mm-hmm. and because of that, you have to mess with your defensive pairings again after after they've played well. Um, eight defenseman system. I, I don't think we need to say it again, but we will, and we'll continue to talk about it all year as long as they still have eight. It doesn't work. It's it's there's too much of a if you want if you want to be a if you want to speak forward and defend it, they'll tell you it creates competition, which fine, it can create competition. 
but it doesn't work when you have guys who sit for so as, as long as they do and then come in and have to find their game at an NHL speed. It just doesn't work. Yeah, agreed. There was, um, going back to college hockey here, but there was a game <clears throat> two weeks ago that Bowling Green dressed seven defensemen for a night. And I asked their coach after the game if that was something that they planned on doing again because they played well in that game. They said, you know, it's just sometimes it's hard to get. We wanted to dress our best 18 guys tonight, but, you know, sometimes when you have seven defensemen out there, it's hard for guys to get in rhythm because you're consistently rotating the pairs. And that's the same thing with eight defensemen. It's, it's hard for these guys to get and do. I mean, defensive pair, I mean, when you're on defense, it's a very – I don't know what the word I'm looking for is. There's a lot of timing that goes into it. And if you're consistently flushing in and out of the lineup or switching the guy you're playing with on a consistent basis, it's hard to get that timing down. And sometimes, I mean, that compounds issues that are already present on this team. Well, and, and the other thing, and I think back to, uh, there was a, I remember having a conversation with a former Texas Stars assistant coach and now the assistant coach with the Vancouver Canucks, Doug Lidster, who was a NH- very good NHL defenseman for the Canucks for a long time. I remember talking to him about how he absolutely, he would tell me how much he absolutely hated dressing seven defensemen because of how much you have these guys, you're trying to develop rhythm, you're trying to develop pairs, you're trying to create some chemistry in game, and all of a sudden you're messing it up as the game goes along. And that's... That's why when Ruff dressed a defenseman as a forward, he would play, play the defenseman at forward, not playing 7D, um, because it just it messes with how things work in the game itself. Uh, how I mean, the Stars defenseman, it's... We, we could talk about this for a long time, and we have talked about it for a long time. The other thing I want to... One thing I want to get into now before we get too late is we had our first guest... Finally, yeah, we had a, so we had a, we had a, we have our first guest, and uh, let me introduce this clip here. We had uh, this past weekend. I went down and watched the Texas Stars play uh, against the San Jose Barracuda, uh, a game that was featured thirteen goals. Speaking of defense, <laughs> uh, featured thirteen goals, and it was eight to five. And then after the game, I caught up with Stephen Meserve, who does a really nice job covering the Texas Stars over at hundred degree hockey. Um, give him a follow on Twitter if you don't, at 100 Degree Hockey, and check out his site. Uh, he's covered the Texas Stars since the inception of the team down there. Um, Stephen and I had a good conversation about some of the Stars' prospects and kind of the trickle-down effect of what's happening with this team. Um, so let's listen to that. I'm joined now by Stephen Meserve from 100 Degree Hockey. Um, Stephen, this makes you the first official guest on the podcast. Uh, big honor. Happy to do it for you, Absolutely. So we're watching the uh, we're down at the uh, Cedar Park Center, the HEB Center, as it's now called. That's right. Um, Texas Stars lost tonight, eight to five, to San Jose. Now, this is the first game I've watched live for Texas this year. Um, is this the team, Stephen? You've seen them. You've obviously seen them a bit more live than I have. Is this what this team's identity is? They look more physical. They look a little bit. They. They look different than they've played in the past, from what I remember. Yeah, just looking at the division standings, you realize very quickly that this is not the team that you know from the past. The penalty minutes are the first thing that stands out. Texas traditionally has been pretty low on on penalty minutes, but uh, they are, I think, three points behind, at least coming into this game. They were three minutes behind the leader in the division. Um, That is not Texas Stars hockey traditionally. They play a much more physical game, but the problem right now 
is they're getting caught playing that physical game. Um, and that is leading to a lot of penalties they're taking, power play goals against. They rank in the bottom five of penalty kill in the league, and, and uh, that's contributing to a lot of unnecessary losses for them. We saw, we saw it tonight. I, I made the quip to you in the press box. I, I made the joke that there was we saw a fight tonight at the game. There were two fights. There were two fights in the game tonight. That's something that Texas that, that hasn't really been a part of a staple of Texas Stars hockey since the Edmonton Oilers claimed Luke Gazdick. And so it's they the physicality is there. And I mean, how much of this do you think has to do with obviously the trickle down effect from the injuries up top? Yeah, you're seeing a lot more players who, to be honest, would have probably spent this first part of the season in. ECHL, and that is probably changing the tone and tenor of the team. They can't play as fast and quick a game as they would if those guys uh, were here instead of in Dallas. So it's changing the way that this team team plays and the identity that it has. Um, you know, and so you're seeing some of those guys uh, contribute to that. Um, but you also have some players who are are just taking really undisciplined penalties. We just talked to uh, Texas Stars head coach Derek Laxtall about that, and, and you know he specifically called out that they need players to, to realize when things are getting out of hand and play within themselves, make sure that they're not contributing to that problem on the ice. And, and that's going to be a learning process for the rookies and the younger players that, that the veterans really need to help uh, instill in them. I think one guy perfect segue there. One thing that we saw that with tonight, probably perfect Julius Honka, who is kind of, and I use the analogy, a Jacqueline Hyde type player right now, where he has the ability, and we saw a play tonight where he finishes it, it's one of the goals of the year, then literally about six, four or five shifts later, turns the puck over behind the net, takes a bad penalty, takes an additional bad penalty for basically abusing the referee. We knew we knew Honka was going to be a long-term project. That's something that everyone accepted, that, that everyone should have accepted from the beginning. Where are we in that project now? What, what have you seen with him? Well, you know, Jim Neal, his word is over-ripened, right? That's, that's like the buzzword with prospects. And um, we're, we're, we're still in that very hard avocado stage, I feel like, for Julius Honka. Um, you know, you got to remember, he came into the league as an 18-year-old, Right. Uh, and that's that's a tough place because the de facto minimum age in the AHL is 20. Thanks to the uh, CHL NHL agreement. That's right. If a player isn't uh, 20 years old yet, or based, uh, they they can't come to the AHL. Um, they have to be in the NHL, or they have to go back to the major junior system. And so he's playing in a man's league, two years behind everyone else. That made it very difficult for him to to get started in the league. Um, he's playing in a defenseman position, a place where it takes more time in order to mature and make sure that you can make those right decisions. Uh, you made the comment in the press box tonight that Julius kind of does everything zero or 100. Yeah, there's no, right? there's no middle for him. Exactly. He needs to find that middle ground where he makes the smart play. Instead of going 100%, jumping down the ice, 200 feet end to end, he pulls back, realizes that that may not be the smart play for the moment, and kind of you know, the better part of Valor and moves forward, I'll make that play on my next shift, we're going to get him eventually. And that's that's something he hasn't worked into his game yet. And that, I think if, if for Dallas fans, it's probably something you've seen on the NHL, Dallas fans have seen on the NHL level for comparison to what John Klingberg went through on the NHL level, where he started to, and Klingberg still has work to go as well, and we can talk for long about that, but we won't, but he's a guy who 
has also needed to find a way at the NHL level, what's the smart play, what's the safe play, things along those lines. Tonka, the one thing that I think is interesting is the Stars have, 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 an aspect, have an aspect right now where they have one guy who was a teenager in the AHL who's in year three of that. It's amazing to think that Julius Honkin is his third year in the AHL. And another player who's on the who's starting his spectrum in the AHL as a teenager and Dennis Giordano, a guy who watching him tonight, I think there's a lot of raw things that you can't teach. He's he's a great skater, he's explosive. I like the way how he can get around guys. Now he just needs to put those things in that you can teach to really be to be that guy who can take that next step. That's the thing with prospects, right? It's it's the old baseball analogy where you know which which guy do you want? Uh, running from home to first base, the guy who does it, you know, in lickety split time, perfect form or terrible form. You want the guy with terrible form because you could teach him to get even better, and that's Gurionov right now. We talked about uh, this last night with with Derek Laxdahl, and he sees a lot of promise in raw, you know, clay to mold with with Gurionov. He's got that speed. He's really big, big kid, um, and I feel like one of the big things that people have concerns with with Russian players, for better or worse, adaptability, teachability, coachability, and he has been taking to that so well, according to the coaching staff. And you can see it in his game. You know, had a little bit of a slow start to the season, but this weekend, uh, you know, scored his first uh, North American goal here in the AHL. So a really big uh, weekend for him. And you know, the guys in the locker room love him. Uh, just lots of joking and playing around with him when he came out for his interview last night. So I think those are all good signs to see that he's making that transition successfully and that he can be the type of player that you know Dallas needs their first-round picks to be because you, you can't get a guy in the first round and, uh, and not have him uh, turn into a successful NHLer. That's, that's not the path you want for him. And we, we know for sure we... Um Ryan and I spoke about this last week, how first-round picks have not had the most stellar history for, for the Stars. And, I mean, Gurionov, we also know, he's, he, I believe he's living with Jason Dickinson right now, who's a, another first-round pick, who's probably a guy who's a little bit older, but a good role model and a good, and a good opportunity for, for those two who are both, you'd hopefully, you think in two, three years, those guys are part of the core of the Stars. Now, we talked a lot about the guys there who are kind of the future. Now, I came down here and I watched this team play, and it was weird for me to not recognize numbers and not right. recognize names. I look at, for example, number 15, Austin Fight, and I still think 15 is Scott Glennie in my head. And so who are these guys that have had to fill the gaps as the Dallas Stars have have five injured forwards right now? And theoretically, that would be five guys down here. So who have been those guys that you've seen step in? And I personally liked uh, Mike McMurtry tonight. Yeah, I mean, there have been, there've been a lot of guys, uh, you know, players. You don't realize if you're just a fan of the NHL, how much these AHL veteran players contribute to the development of prospects, right? They, they teach you, as a player, how to be a professional. You know, think about these guys. They're coming in from major junior. They got billet families. They've never been on their own, truly, um, before now. And so there's a lot of things on and off the ice that they need. Now, on the ice, one of the guys who's really stood out to me, had a great game tonight, is Brendan DeFazio. Mm-hmm. Um, we were a little bit familiar with him from his time with the Utica Comets, uh, which is Vancouver's farm team. And, uh, you know, he's had an offensive knack uh, really throughout his game. 
And we compared him in the press box. We were talking, and we even asked Remy Ellie about it tonight. Uh, he compares very favorably to Greg Rolla, who was a veteran guy for the Texas Stars who in San Antonio Rampage. And Greg and Greg Rollo is a guy who, if you think about it from just an NHL level, okay, he got about a, he had his cup of coffee about a dozen games, but he had a huge impact on the younger players. Lots of players last year, two years ago, would talk about Rollo and how he taught them to be a pro. Exactly, and and that's what you need from from those veteran guys is is shepherding them, them along so that they can move past the AHL and into the AHL ranks. And DeFazio has the scoring that Rollo had, but he also has a little bit more physicality to his game, has been able to go to those tough areas, whereas Rollo, a little bit older, and tended to go more for the, uh, you know, needing, needing a little bit of space in order to get the shot off, those sorts of things as he aged. And so DeFazio gives you this, uh, you know, kind of back in time, Greg Rollo with a little bit more physicality to his game, and uh, it's it's been really beneficial to a player like Remielli, as we saw tonight, who had who had three assists tonight, two of those uh, setting up Brandon Fazio for some pretty nice goals. And uh, Remielli, just a quick note on him, he's a guy who, if you look at players who had a season who performed last season who needed to take the next step, you probably would have said Jamel Smith and Remy Ellie. And Jamel Smith obviously has done what he's done and taken advantage of opportunities in the NHL, and Remy's kind of doing that in the AHL right now where the depths opened up. With this group, with this group, Stephen, with the, with the guys who you've seen come in, this forward group in particular, how much longer do you think Matt Mangin has to play forward for the Texas Stars? Well, so it's a two-part answer to that question because, uh, well, unfortunately tonight we saw Matthias Backman have, have an injury. Yes. Could, could be potential that you have Matt Mangin move back to defense temporarily uh, if Backman is injured uh, for the road trip here up to the Midwest. But longer term, I mean, you know, Mangin is, is this guy who uh, we're talking about be, learning to be a pro, yeah. right? He makes himself invaluable. Yeah. Any other team in the league, he would be, you know, he, if he were in this position, he would, someone in his position would be seventh defenseman or maybe in the ECHL, but he has found a way to make himself invaluable to Derek Laxall, where he says, I can't take him out of the lineup, even if that means playing him at forward. Yeah. And it's, it's been where he, he's the, on the point of the power play. Uh, he plays third or fourth line wing. Uh, he even played center a couple times. It's pretty impressive where he's been able to, make, like I said, make himself invaluable. And, I mean, if he if he never plays defense again uh, this year, he'll probably still be a net positive to the lineup, though, just because of the type of player that he is and what he brings to the rink every day in terms of, you know, I'm going to do whatever I need to do to make this team successful. There are three things I think about with Matt Mangin, three stories that come to mind when I think about him. The first one being, and last year when Julius Honka did get his help, was scratched last year. And Derek Laxtell literally said, we scratched him so we could watch Matt Mangin move the puck. And that's what we're talking about, an AHL def- contracted defenseman, and they're telling a first-round pick to watch him. That's the first story. I also think about... Many people might not know, Devin Shore, when Devin Shore took his to room and tour at Maine, Matt Mangine was his host who gave him the tour That's at right. Maine. So he's had an impact there way before he was ever part of the Stars organization. And another guy, I remember talking to, I've talked to Stephen Johns about this, uh, who's now obviously 
found his way in the NHL has talked about how much of an impact, positive impact Matt Mangine had on when he came to this organization. And he was the new player after, after the Sharp, after the Patrick Sharp, uh, Stephen Johns trade to this organization. Those are things that I think you think about organizational depth, and it goes beyond the NHL contract. It goes to the to what the AHL what the AHL guys are that Scott White has signed here, and he's done a really nice job with that. I think I think one nod we can give to is the fact we didn't watch Justin Dowling in this game because he was one of those guys who went from AHL contract to. He's now filling in the NHL. Well, and the nice thing, too, that you realize with a guy like Matt Mangine, Dallas fans may be a little bit familiar with him because he was at Dallas training camp, even though he's not on an NHL contract. And that's a really great move by the organization because it helps to create continuity from the very first day of training camp all the way to the first day of the regular season and all the way through the playoffs, right? You're going to play with the same guys. Everyone's going to learn the same system, and it just helps everyone to be successful. And it's one of the things that we almost take for granted now uh, in the Dallas Stars organization because those teams have been playing on the same system for so long that as soon as you make a call-up from Texas to Dallas, you're not learning a new playbook, right? You just drop into the system, and, and you can play from day one with the same effectiveness that you would have uh, if you'd been there and on the NHL roster the entire time. Yeah, and you might think it's obvious, but there actually are certain NHL teams that don't play like their NHL team. They're su- the successful ones play like their team. You look at Ontario, that you, you watch them play and you say LA Kings, you wouldn't even have to know who they're affiliated with when you watch them play. Last question, and then we'll let you go, and we appreciate you having on. Everyone follows Steven at 100 Degree Hockey. He does a great job. The goaltending here. And this is, this is a conversation that uh, Dallas Stars fans love to have, the goaltending. When you see, the, you see these two young kids, you see the one who is, was the highly touted prospect, the one that everyone hopes to, hopes to erase the memory of Jack Campbell and, and Phil DeRosier and be the guy to be that and former CHL goalie of the year, and Maxime Legasse, a goalie who went from nowhere, probably wouldn't have been signed if not for probably wouldn't have been re-signed if not for a season last year. When you look at these two guys and you look at what they're having to face, we saw Texas did allow 40 shots tonight, what do you see with both of them? Yeah, it's a complicated uh, situation that they're dealing with. Arguably, Legasse had the starting role coming in. You know What he did last year, uh, bringing this team around and basically putting it on his back at times was impressive. And you knew, he knew, that he needed to have an amazing summer and come in um, you know, really ready and raring to go because he's the number three goaltender in this system. And, and he was great in the preseason. Yes, yeah, and he was, he was sparkling in the preseason with Dallas and, and a lot of high hopes. But uh, something, something has turned. It, it's, it's very strange how he's just uh, he's not producing at that same level um, and you know he'll be great in games. It's almost we're talking about Honka is Jekyll and Hyde. I mean Jekyll and Hyde within the game for for Legasse. Where for example last night he had uh, just a single goal against uh, I think through two periods, and then third period the final score was five to three, right? Uh, five to three for Texas. Yeah. But still, I mean just very very uh, mercurial one way in the uh, one way or the other. Um, Legasse, of course, is looking over his shoulder, though, because, as you mentioned, Rosier is the highly touted prospect and has that sort of uh, heritage legacy to him. Um, I-, I think Phil still needs seasoning, a lot of seasoning. He's not ready for the starter role uh, quite yet. Um, flashes of, of promise and such. Um, but part of it here is is the, the defense 
in front of them. Mm-hmm. It's not giving them the quality of defense that uh, that we've seen in the past with the Texas Stars. It's a team that really prides itself on building itself from the net out with Scott White's uh, leadership and and the types of players that he signs. Um, we got a lot of players here now who are Dallas Stars prospects, uh, and I think Matt Mangine is really your only one on an AHL contract. Um, and so you're not sure how much of an impact uh, you're able to have. Uh, normally, you know, Texas has had the ability to have maybe two or three AHL-signed defensemen uh, well, to, to be, give that. To be fair, I do think that you could are, you could classify Andrew Bernardchuk and Dustin Stevenson you as could. signings like that, but under NHL contracts. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, it, it, it's it's an interesting conundrum, and in like I said, yeah. Dallas fans are having the same one right now, uh, trying to diagnose it. Um, coaches trying not to uh, pull the hook too much mm-hmm. when games get out of hand. Uh, after four goals tonight, Legasse did get pulled. Um, you, you have to give them a level of comfort where they're not going to come into every game nervous, but it's uh, it's definitely a challenging situation. The good news is uh, Texas has, has shown the ability to score goals. So, you know, if you win a game 6-5, it's still two points. Uh, you get worried if that's what's happening as you get toward the playoffs, but for November hockey, it's probably good enough. He's Stephen Meserve. Thank you for joining us. The first official guest on the podcast. And uh, follow him at 100 Degree Hockey and uh, keep and keep up with Stephen for the rest of the Texas Star season. Thanks for having me, Sean. And thanks again to Stephen for coming on and, and being our first official guest on the podcast. Hopefully this becomes a little bit more of a uh, common thing. We'll see. We'll see what that kind of evolves into. So, Ryan... We obviously focus on the NHL team right here, but I think the one thing just organizationally and kind of one thing that was brought up in that interview is how much the injuries are having an effect all the way down through the system. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it's, if you want to talk about, we talk about the Dallas Stars learning through adversity and we talk about what they have to fight through. It's, I, think it's, I think in the long term, one thing that we can kind of, you can kind of hang your hat on for this season and what it does is, what does this do for the prospects long-term? Um, and you look at a guy like Dennis Garyanov, a guy like um, Matty Stransky, the goalies down there who are, are seeing their lineup depleted uh, by injuries from the NHL club, and they're forced into bigger roles, and they're forced into it. So I think if you're looking at a silver lining from the injuries, A, it's guys getting NHL opportunities. It's B, the trickle-down effect, while it may be hurting the bottom line win-loss line, it's actually not hurting them as much down in the AHL. It's actually helping the prospects and forcing them to a bigger role. I, there's there's some benefit there. Yeah, there is. And, I mean, another side effect, too, is you learn that maybe you have a couple more guys in your system who potentially can be contributed at the NHL level as time goes along if you've seen Justin Dowling and Tamel Smith coming up this year and playing well in stretches that they've been here. So, obviously, it's not an ideal situation to have almost half your forward group out, but there are definitely benefits from it as well. And I I think we can agree that there's not necessarily, other than maybe Julius Honka, a true game-breaking prospect in this system right now. So it's nice to see that guy, the guys that they have down there who potentially – you do expect to be up at the NHL level and 
making contributions at some point in their career, their career getting additional ice time to show what they can do at this stage. Well, yeah, at this at this moment, you'd say Honka is truly the only game breaker, if you want to use that term. Um, Gurianov is a guy who the potential's there because there's the things where you can't you a guy you can't he's also, you know there's always risks with there's yes of course there's al- there's always there's always hopefully it doesn't impact the stars but there's always the potential Russian factor that hurt them with the uh, with with Val Nichushkin, obviously. Um, it's it's an interesting thing looking at the star system right now because you look at there's the defenseman of the futures in the system. The the forward group you have in Dallas is already is is pretty young right now. Um, you think about I mean Jamie Benn and Tyler Sagan, even though they've been here for a while, they aren't old players. You have you have your you have your forward core built for a while, your your system is stocked at defensive prospects, and then <laughs> What seems to be the biggest question with the stars is you just look at it and you wonder what's going to happen with the goalies. And that's the long term. It's both the present day, the future, and the past question for the stars. What do you do with goalies? If I had an answer to that question, I would not be working on this podcast right now. No, we'd, but you'd, probably, <laughs> you'd, you'd probably be George McPhee probably would have hired you. Yeah. <laughs> it, dude, I, I don't even, I don't know where you, you go. It's always so tough. Like, if you think, just think right now, how many truly elite goaltending prospects are there in the NHL? You have Demko, you have Vancouver. Do we count, do you count Gibson as a prospect or is he graduated from that already? I would say he's graduated. He plays, he's not a rookie anymore. So okay. I would say he's okay. And there's, there's Demko, there's, Demko is with uh, Utica now. You have uh, uh, who's the guy, the goalie, the former college guy, the free agent who signed with Ottawa. Um, O'Connor. O'Connor, who actually has not been very good, has been, been just okay this year. You have him, who's you have, he's expected to be pretty good. Um, but it's it's all a crapshoot. That's what it is. The position's a complete crapshoot. It really is. So, I mean, we're sitting here right now saying there's, you know, you don't have your goaltender of the system in the future right now, and next thing you know, they draft a guy in the third round next year, and he blossoms into someone who you can sit there and say, yeah, he's, because it's just, I mean, especially with Dallas, as much success as they've had recently drafting later in the later rounds. It's not, I mean, it's not out of the realm of possibility, but you're right. It's just this is a position that there's, it's not an exact science. It's, not, it's so damn hard to project, as they've seen with, you know, I think everyone was in agreement in 2010 or 11 or whatever year they drafted Jack Campbell that this guy was the next big thing. And look how that turned out. Yeah. And we could talk about goalies for hours, and I don't really want to right now. So it's, inst- instead, we're going to answer some Twitter questions. And thanks again to everyone who put these in. Um, I was very happy. Yeah, so we'll start it right here with uh, what sane team would actually pick up Alexiak off waivers at this point? None. And we talked about that last week. And, I mean, I think if, if you're looking at a silver lining – Maybe Jamie Alexiak turning the puck over four, to- four times too many against Vancouver makes, gives, you, gives you the push to actually push him on waivers and send him to the AHL. 
and I don't think anyone would touch would would, would pick him up, frankly. Right, because it's not like it's one. It'd be one thing if you could send him on waivers and then, or if you could claim a guy on waivers and stash him in the AHL. But who's gonna claim? Who has the roster spot to claim him and just keep him on their bench right now? I don't think anyone in the NHL has the roster space. And I think there's better options out. I think there's better options out there too. I mean, it's why yeah. would I mean it's you're looking at a guy who's played five NHL games this season and he's been okay in two or three of them. And then the other two, he was horrendous. And there's a reason he, and he hasn't been able to, he hasn't really played many games and he hasn't been able, and he hasn't proven to either the Dallas stars or any team that he should actually be in some in anyone's lineup. Yeah. It's like, so, we're, especially with the condensed schedule this season. I know we've talked about this at one point, but it's not like in past years where you can claim a guy and stash him in your press box just based on his potential alone. But there's, you're not keeping a guy on your lineup just to keep him in the press box this year. You're fielding a roster that you feel a bunch of guys who can play every night. Yeah, the only way you, the only way you're doing that is if you're in a situation where like Arizona is right now, where they've got a young kid who's a great prospect who's so close to making the NHL roster and can be in the in, and uh, but is sitting in the press box because he can't go to the AHL because of the CHL NHL agreement. That's that's the only time. That's the only way that you really see teams saving a roster spot for a prospect or someone who to, to stash a guy. Um, sticking with the defenseman uh, thoughts, we had a question. Uh, is John sitting because of ailments or discipline? If it's discipline, then why is Klingberg on the ice? Well, as we said before, we don't know for sure why John sat uh, because the team, uh, they played yesterday. Um, I was not in Vancouver, so I didn't get to ask the question, and the, uh, and the team had an off day today, so we don't know the full answer to that. But to, trans, to go over to the Klingberg part, John, Kling, John Klingberg's not coming off the ice. No, there's, there's not a defenseman on this roster that has that even close to that kind of offensive seal. So this is, it's the same thing with Jamie Benn or Tyler Sagan. If they screw up and make a bad play, you're not benching them. Because the good that they bring outweighs the bad. And sometimes with Klingberg, the bad is really mind-numbingly dumb. But they don't have another defenseman on this team, and the only other one in the system, I think, would be Julius Hunter, who can do the things that he can do with the puck. Well, and, and they put you take the bad with the good with them. And, and Klingberg, the other thing about it too is, I think, I for one, I'm not, I'm not above scratching a guy because of what he can bring, or if a guy's been playing bad, I'm all fine for giving him the scratch and making him play. But that's something if your Dallas doesn't have the luxury of doing that right now. If this team was like last year, and say they started off nine and two, and they were going off to a 9-2 start, and John Klingberg was just awful, but just, just, just hypothetically. Then you have the opportunity, well, we're, we're playing well, we've got an opportunity, we can scratch him and put somebody else in. They're not playing at a level where they have the ability to go and say, well, you're playing like crap, the rest of the team's playing well, why don't you bo- watch a game from the box? That's, that, so Klingberg's going to stay in the lineup because they, this team needs everything they This team needs every option they have right now as they're trying to dig out of this slump and dig out of what's been a tough spot with the injuries with the injuries and everything from the start of the season. Did we talking about that too? Uh, I don't know how to transition to this point without it being really lumpy and stuff. But right now, I mean, you talk about the whole Dallas again, but the fact of the matter is really the only team in a central right now 
who's playing well above the points per game basis, Chicago. So, I mean, as bad as Dallas, not as bad as Dallas has been, but as mediocre as they've been so far, they're still in the thick of things because the Central has not been very good this year. Which is, which is funny to think, because we, before the season started, you would have thought the Central would have been very good. Right. You have Chicago, who's just dominating the hell out of everyone. And then Minnesota's played fewer games, but they've been good. And then other than that, you have everyone else is playing at or just barely above an 82-point pace right now. So, yeah, so the, not calling that. If the playoffs started today, they'd be in, I believe. Yes, they would be. So... Next, right next question, someone asked, uh, when everyone is healthy, doubt they try to wave McKenzie, right? Um, I think it's too, I mean, frankly, right now, I've, I've, I'm in the camp that it's too early to try and make decisions on who gets sent down or who gets waived when guys get back healthy, because I need to see how healthy those guys are actually when they get back. Right. Yeah, I don't think this is just something that we're going to be able to say until we get to the point where we you get the, the message from Rob that, yes, Cody Eaton is ready to play, yes, Patrick Sharp is ready to play, yes, Jason Fletcher is ready to play. Because a lot can change in the next two weeks. A lot, a, a, lot, a lot could change tomorrow night against New Jersey on a Tuesday night, and hopefully not, but a lot can change. Right. Uh, the You also have, um, but to, to answer the question, to, to give a little bit more than a no answer to a, to a question, if you look at the reverse depth chart of who gets sent down right now. Your first person down probably is Justin Dowling. Just, he's been a nice, serviceable option, but he's probably the first person to go down. After that, you start looking at, you, start make, you, you make your decision on, what has Jamel Smith shown us so far? Is he worth keeping in the lineup? What do we, what do we think? Then you start getting to that group of uh, Adam Cracknell, Curtis McKenzie, and you start trying to look at who's brought the most, who can bring those things and a guy, and it's it's interesting with McKenzie and Cracknell and players like that. It depends on how well they're playing, and it depends on what's happening in the league right now. If they would clear waivers or not, that's that's the other thing. That's kind of the big crapshoot with all of this is Curtis McKenzie. And I, I like Curtis McKenzie's story. He's a guy who was a, a late round pick who worked his way up to the NHL, but he's not really a guy that. Uh, you, you drop them on waivers, it's not like 30 NHL teams are all chomping at the bit to, to claim them. I mean, he's, he's a good depth, bottom six guy who kills penalties, and that's not, a, that's not a bad thing, but teams have those guys in their system already. Right. Oh. Um, next question we had was, uh, can the Stars upgrade a net without Bishop or Fleury? Are we to, I don't know if we're talking long-term or if we're talking this year, but I think we've established this year that the two guys they have are the two guys they have, and that's the way it's going to stay. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, I don't see it changing. That's the thing. It's if, and I would never be – people can hope for a trade and look for a trade and everything like that, but I, I think you're looking at the stars this season, and they're going to – end up this when this whenever the season ends whether it's april may or june it's going to end with Kari let and her anti-niemi and net mm-hmm. and and i and to be fair i think they can and if you say can they upgrade a net without bishop or fleur yes that's that's the answer to that question is yes there's there's options there's other options out there you're going to see i think you're going to see a lot of move there's going to be a ton of movement next summer with the expansion draft and kind of the trickle effect of that so it'll be interesting to see what happens but i just don't this season, 
the Stars are basically going to need their goaltenders to play at a higher level than they have been. And uh, and there's right. the ca- the Cavalry's not coming. Um, and this is in a situation where it's like where Dallas is a high budget team like Toronto and Montreal, where you can take one of these two guys and pay them six mil the rest of their salaries, whatever it ends up being, to play in the minors. Dallas isn't the team that's going to do that. No, they're not going to do that. Um, next question: uh, What do you think dogs dream of? <laughs> Probably the same thing that you dream of. Figuring out, that, that, I'm pretty sure dogs spend their sleeping moments trying to figure out how to improve the stars' goaltending. <laughs> I know my dogs do. Yeah. Um, Probably dream of food. I dream of food. So that's not an incorrect statement that they dream the same thing that we do. That's probably true. I mean, my dog this morning. My dog this morning after she, after she got breakfast then moved her bowl around about six feet trying to tell me that I never fed her breakfast. <laughs> Sounds about right. So, it's, uh... Oh, our dog would do that, too. He would, we had three of them, and he would eat his breakfast, and then he would try to start eating the other two's breakfast. Well, we, we have, two, so we have, we have two dogs, and the race always happens, there's a race for them to finish the food, if you can tell, because they both put the, uh, the food goes down, and then they're both eat as quick as possible because it's uh, they don't want the other to try and steal their food. <laughs> oh. That's fantastic. Speaking of food topics, but not speaking of dogs, how about if pucks were the moldiest cheese imaginable? See, this is a very open-ended question. It is. What um, what kind? What are we? Um, what's the end game of this question? Like, are we saying? What would the game be like? Would people want to avoid the puck? I don't know. I think the... Uh, we established before the podcast that the moldiest cheese imaginable is blue cheese. Yes, because it is mold. Blue cheese is literally mold. Think, you just have a block of blue cheese on the ice. I'm not sure. Would it break? How, I mean, how would they keep it? Would it just be frozen? Would it just be a frozen block of blue cheese? I think you would keep it the same way that you would keep, you keep pucks normally. You'd keep them in the, food, the freezer. Make sure they're nice and nice and crisp and hard and ready for action. That was really weird. I apologize. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. I I don't know that I've ever seen a full block of blue cheese before. I've seen blue cheese crumble and I've seen blue cheese dressing. I don't know that I've ever seen a full block of blue cheese. I think there's other cheeses that would make butter pucks, though. I don't think a moldy cheese would make a good puck. I think of I think of the big wheels of cheese I see at a grocery store. And I think if you just made those into pucks, that would be a much better puck than a than blue cheese. I don't know if the weight would be. The weight might be kind of weird. It might kind of fly a little bit more than it should. Be a very very lively uh, lively frozen cheese puck. I think the, the better question here would be what cheese would make the best. Provolone circular already. True, but provolone is also very malleable. So I don't know that you would get a, a good rebound off of a stick on that. I think it would kind of just squish, like squish into the blade, and then just kind of flop down towards the net. Yeah, Swiss. The, the, the round shape is that that you can get around that. You can just you can you can just carve it. I think, I think some sharp cheddar. Sharp cheddar. It's a hard cheese, so I think that would work well. But you'd have to freeze it because I feel like that would be a cheese that would that has exploding potential. Strike it with a hockey stick. I think. 
a Swiss cheese I would only want because I'm a writer and I could think of the jokes. <laughs> too much, there's too much air resistance there. I don't think it would fly as well. So now that we've I, talked about cheese and the important I topics. Very, I have a very strong urge now to turn this into a science experiment. If you do that, we would like uh, that. That could definitely lead the podcast next week. What cheese makes the best puck? I'll be sure to get it on video. Now that we've talked about the importance things and cheese, and everyone go enjoy your lunch now. Uh, <laughs> the stars this week. Now they come home. Stretch of home games. What do you need to see the team do, Ryan, after the Western Canada trip as they return home? What 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 do you need to see? Um, ideally, I would like to see Jamie Benn and Tyler Sagan continue on this trend that they've set for themselves. I think they both were like, they combined for like 11 points over the last three games or something like that. So I mean, not necessarily at that same level because that's probably a bit too much to ask. But I mean, at this point, I mean, you're still waiting for guys to get healthy. I would like to see them continue to, at the bare minimum, play at the pace that they've currently set for themselves and continue to tread water. I think if they tread water, and wait for everyone to get back. They'll be in a pretty good spot. But at this point, they need to play better defensively. Oh, they, they completely. They need to. What I would like to see from the Stars to do is send Alexiak to the AHL, let him play 25 minutes a night down there, and stop tinkering with the defense so much. But I think that's what we'll think. I think I think we've both made it clear that's what we'd like to see them do. Um, I think the other thing is we're looking at it's roughly. Uh, it's only 10 days to Thanksgiving, I think, right? Yes. So yeah. I, th- I think the point is if you, you go through this next stretch, if the Stars are where they are right now in a playoff spot around th- in, a, in a playoff spot right now, uh, when Thanksgiving hits around, if they're in a playoff spot and they're about to get bodies back, I think they're in a good spot going forward. Um, I mean, they've, only, they've played 16, 16 games so far. This week will be... At the end of this week, they'll have played 20, and I think that'll be a really fair time for you to assess the team because it'll be the quarter mark of the season. And that's, that's what I expect next week when we talk again for this to be a lot about where is this team at the quarter mark of the season. Yeah, so we'll see what happens. With that being said, everyone go uh, enjoy your lunches. Pick, uh, you, you make, make sure you make a sandwich using the cheese you think would best be used for a hockey puck. And... Uh, for real, though, question of the day. Which cheese do you think would be the best hockey puck? Seriously, let us know. We'll read some of the best answers next week. Everyone have a good week.